Acts chapter 12. It's been a good week and it's only a couple days in, but God gave me an unexpected gift yesterday. I had one of those God meetings where you weren't planning on meeting somebody and God made it all happen and it was just so encouraging. So I love those unexpected blessings that we get every once in a while from God. So tonight, Acts chapter 12, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Acts chapter 12 is a great example that God is bigger than anyone or anything. It is a chapter that reminds us that we can experience continual growth in spite of all obstacles. In fact, most of the time, God will not take the obstacles, the challenges uh, from in front of us. He wants us to learn to rise above them or climb over them or go through them with Him. And Acts chapter 12 is a great example of that. The other main theme I wanted to talk about tonight from this chapter is prayer. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about prayer, and we're sort of going to end in a spirit of prayer tonight. So let's begin in Acts chapter 12, where Luke writes, About that time King Herod laid hands on some from the church to harm them. Let's remember something. King Herod here is the grandson of Herod the Great, the same Herod that caused a lot of trouble during Jesus' birth and had those babies murdered. This is now his grandson who's continuing to show antagonism, if you will, towards Christ and towards his church. In fact, you'll notice in verse 2, he had James, the brother of John, executed with a sword. That's a nice way of saying he was beheaded. Had his head chopped off. Now, what's significant about this is This is the first of the twelve disciples to be martyred. And this is not only one of the twelve disciples to be martyred. This is one of Jesus' sort of inner circle of disciples. Remember, he was there on the Mount Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John, many times those three, had an even closer relationship to Jesus than the other nine disciples. And so what you have here is something significant because it is showing us that those closest to Jesus didn't have a pass, if you will, when it came to martyrdom and suffering and pain or anything else. When James is killed by Herod, it is sort of a wake-up call to the entire church that no one is safe. And no one is going to be immune from persecution. And even those closest to Jesus are going to experience death and suffering. That's what was significant about James, the brother of John here, being murdered by Herod. Now, Herod was obviously a politician. And we might think that politicians sort of have behaved the way they behave in our day, you know, and it's a recent phenomenon. But what we see here is that Herod and politicians have sort of been behaving the same way for thousands of years. 
Herod just sort of stuck his finger up in the air and was sort of monitoring which way the political wind was blowing. And because it was popular to persecute Christians, because it was popular to stand against Christianity, that's what he did. Notice what it says in verse 3. When he saw that this murder of James, one of the Lord's disciples, pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too. Good politician, huh? I'm, I'm racking up some points here. So I'm going to continue to go down this road because I'm gaining in popularity. It wasn't what's right or what's wrong. It's what way is the political wind blowing. And right now it's against Christians and against Christ. So he's going to stand against them for now. Now why didn't he have Peter executed just like he did James? This took place during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This was during the Passover season, if you will, in Jerusalem. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, verse 4, handed him over to the four squads of soldiers to guard him. And Herod planned to bring him out for the public trial after the Passover. In other words, politically, he was waiting for the most opportune time to deal with Peter, where he could get the most bang for his buck. That's why he delayed in doing anything to Peter at this point. But while earlier, he had James executed. And I want to stop here for a moment. Because obviously there's a question that goes through many of our minds as Christians. Why is it that God allowed James to die and be murdered, and he's going to spare Peter? I can't answer that question. That's only known in the mind of God. Why God allows some of his saints to die and some of his saints to live. that It's all part of God's plan and it's all for his glory. And let's remember something here. James is no loser just because he died. James, just like the thief on the cross, was going to be with Christ in paradise that very day. So don't feel sorry for James because he got his head lopped off. He actually graduated and went to heaven sooner than the other disciples did. And Peter knew from the very words of Jesus that one day he was going to die for his faith as well. He just didn't know when. So that's setting the stage for where we are sort of now. You know, the church has had a good run. You know, there's been a lot of positive things in the first 11 chapters of this. Yeah, they've, they've had some persecution and, and Stephen was martyred as well and all that. But for the most part, the church has had a really good run. Now we come to chapter 12 and all of a sudden, boom, the church is taking some hits. And the question is, will God's people, will they continue to trust God through all of these challenges and trials and obstacles and everything? with someone as great as James now being executed, and now Peter being seized and put in prison. You know, what's going to happen to God's people and to the church? Will they continue to prosper? And this is why I started tonight with the words of Jesus where he says, I will build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail. What we have to continue to remind ourselves of is, that God wants His people and He wants His church to continue to grow and increase in spite of all obstacles. Because God is never going to take all the obstacles out of our way. He wants to show us that in spite of everything the enemy, the world, and everyone throws at us, that through Him, 
it can all be defeated. It can all be overcome. And that's what he was teaching his church here through the experiences of Acts chapter 12. Notice again, too, as if Peter was not like, you know, some some Samson or whatever. He, he wasn't. But I think because of uh, Peter uh, already being miraculously set free from prison before, Herod wanted to make sure that Peter didn't get out. So he had these four squads of soldiers to guard him. And so he had soldiers. He had a prison. He had put Peter in chains. In fact, notice verse five. So Peter was kept in prison. But those in the church were earnestly praying to God for him. A couple things. The word kept here means to guard or watch over. And so it's a reminder that though Herod placed Peter in his prison to, in a sense, have people guard or watch over him, that ultimately there was a God who was guarding and watching over Peter that was greater than any guards, any prison, anything. And though the church at this time, like the church many times down through history, did not have the resources of the enemies of God. The church didn't have soldiers. The church didn't have chains. The church didn't have prisons. But the church had something more powerful than anything Herod could throw at it. The church had the power of prayer. And the church goes to praying. And we have to continually remind ourselves that prayer is the greatest weapon that you and I as Christians can ever wield. And that's exactly what the church was doing. Now notice some things about prayer here. First of all, Luke tells us that the church was earnestly praying. That word earnestly speaks to us of intensity, fervently, with passion. Many times as Christians, we are discouraged in our prayer life because it doesn't seem like God is very passionate about our prayers. But one thing this reminded me of was, but am I passionate about anything that I'm praying about? You know, I I want God to be on the ball, passionate and and in tune with something, then it would be just right for me then to show some passion and fervency and intensity in what I'm praying for. Let me ask you, we'll get to this at the end. Is there anything right now in your life that you can honestly say you are passionately praying for? I mean, intense fervent, passionate prayer. The other thing is this. The word prayer here, and and it has this meaning in both even the Hebrew and the Greek, means to attach to, to join, to bind together with. It's the idea that, that prayer is at its very core, me or you attaching ourselves, joining ourselves, binding ourselves to the God of the universe. That's what prayer is. In fact, 
Prayer should be more about focusing on the person we are praying to than the requests that we are bringing. Let me repeat that. Prayer should be more about the person that I'm praying to than the requests that I'm bringing. I'm coming into the presence of God and I am connecting with Him. That's what prayer is. It's actually a way that we worship God. We worship God through prayer. And prayer isn't so much about changing the circumstances as it is changing us. It's about our heart and God's heart being on the same page. It's about when we get into the presence of God, God then can begin to change our heart so that our heart beats for the things that God's heart beats for. That's really what prayer is all about. And that's why many times as Christians, we get either discouraged or off track in our prayer life because we concentrate more of our prayer life on the things that we're bringing to God and how He's answering them and when He's answering them. And we're getting our focus off of the God in whose presence we are in when we're praying. The reason being because if I truly am taking that opportunity to pray and to attach myself and join myself and bind myself to this God, then all of a sudden the things even that I'm bringing and the, and the things that I'm maybe uh, coming and asking Him for, all of a sudden really begin to fall into their proper place, if you will, when I, when I begin to to get a glimpse of who this God is. And no matter what I want to talk to him about or whatever, I'm realizing very quickly, he's got this, whatever it is. Because he's God. And I'm focused more on him than I am my trouble or my trial or whatever. Earnestly praying to God for him. And then from this perspective, if you or I were in Peter's shoes, something similar, isn't it encouraging to know that there would be brothers and sisters in Christ that were praying for us? And isn't it encouraging to others when they know we're praying for them? That's what was happening here. That was the reaction, response of the church. James was murdered. Leader of the church at this point. One of Jesus' inner circle. Peter now is thrown into prison. And what does the church do? The best thing that they can do. They're on their knees and they're praying. Somebody called a prayer meeting. And they were passionately, fervently, intensely praying. God calls us to prayer. God calls us to attach ourselves, join ourselves, bind ourselves to Him. Now notice what happens. On that very night, before Herod was going to bring him out for trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, while guards in front of the door were keeping watch over the prison. The church was praying, but Peter was sleeping. And this was a good time for Peter to sleep. Earlier in the Gospels, when Peter should have been praying, he was sleeping. 
This was actually a time where he's showing us the greatness of his faith that at this moment he's sleeping. Because the word sleep here means to be still, calm, quiet. In other words, think about it. Put ourselves in Peter's place. He's just witnessed that James, one of the leaders of the disciples along with him, has been executed, beheaded by Herod. He knows from Jesus' own lips that one day he's going to be martyred as well. And he's sitting there in Herod's prison. Is he wringing his hands? Is he up all night worried that this could be the last couple hours of his life on earth? No! He is still. He is calm. He is quiet. He's able to sleep. Why? Because Peter has learned faith. He's learned to trust and rely and depend on God. He's learned to realize that this God that he's been praying to and come in contact with, that he's got this. And whatever tomorrow looks like, and even if the sun for Peter doesn't come up tomorrow, he knows God has got this. And that's why he's able to sleep even in prison. He is a great example of the power of faith and how faith dispels fear. There's a lot of fear today in our world. A lot of fear. And there are many Christians that are living in fear. But the Bible teaches us that as Christians, if we truly believe that God's got us and got this, then He calls us to walk by faith. The just shall live by faith. And that we walk not by sight, but by faith. And faith and fear are mutually exclusive. Fear is a sign of disbelief in God in some way. Whatever that cause of the fear is, there is something there that is distrusting who God is, or what God said He would do, or something. Here's another great verse about fear. Psalm 34, 4. Share this maybe with someone you know who's living in fear right now. The psalmist says, I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and He delivered me from all my fears. What a great verse. I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and He delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 34, verse 4. Peter was walking in faith. Far different from that night that he betrayed Jesus, or excuse me, he, he denied Jesus. He was afraid. He was walking in fear. And now we see through the Holy Spirit indwelling him and through his own spiritual growth how this man went from fear to faith in just a short amount of time. I don't know what you may be afraid of, but God is calling you to faith in him tonight. And again, notice, it doesn't matter what Herod does. Herod is no match for God, 
It doesn't matter what kind of prison he puts Peter in. It doesn't matter how many soldiers he guards Peter with. It doesn't matter how many chains he wraps up in Peter. None of them can stand up to God. And so it says, while Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, while guards in front of the door were keeping watch over the prison, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the prison cell. The word suddenly can also be translated behold. It's a way of getting our attention to see God's got the last word. Herod doesn't. God does. In fact, that's why It says the angel of the Lord. Who's ruling the universe? Not Herod. God's ruling. God's in control. And if God wants Peter out of prison, he'll get Peter out of prison, no problem. Nothing can stand in God's way. That's what God wants his people and his church to see. I don't care what the enemy's throwing at you. I don't care what challenges or obstacles are in your way. You can continue to thrive and grow and increase in spite of all the obstacles. Because God is saying to his people here in Acts 12 and saying to us tonight, I got this. I'm greater than anyone. I'm bigger than anything. I'm the Lord. So I love this. This is, this is now sort of humorous here for a little while. God does have a sense of humor, by the way. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the prison cell and he struck, literally poked Peter on the side and woke him up. You think of a parent with a child, like, get up for school, you know. It's like Peter, like, oh, what, you know, groggy, got sleepers in his eyes, you know, the whole nine yards. Get up quickly and notice the chains fell off. Peter's wrist. By the way, great term here. The word fell off literally means to be powerless. In other words, God is teaching us something here too. Whatever chains we have on our lives, God can render powerless. They can just fall off. Because they can't stand up to the power of God. There's no chain ever been made that can stand up to the power of God. There's nothing that can stand up to the power of God. No matter what that is, whatever chain, whatever's binding can fall off with God's power. And then the angel said to him, fasten your belt. And can I, I think he fasten your seat belt. Here we go, Peter. You're in for a ride. Put on your sandals. Peter did so. Then the angel said to him, put on your cloak and follow me. And Peter went out and followed him. He did not realize that what was happening through the angel was real. He thought he maybe was seeing a vision or maybe he was sleepwalking or whatever. And notice this, after they had passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate leading into the city and the gate moved open by itself. How how am I going to get through the guards? How am I going to get through the iron gate? That's how many of us sometimes approach our lives. We're looking down the road and we see, oh, there's a guard there and there's a guard there and there's an iron gate there. And How am I going to get through it? And God doesn't want us to look and think about how we're going to get through those iron gates. If, if he wants us to get through that iron gate, he will move that iron gate when we get to that point. 
Don't think for another moment how you're going to get through the iron gate. It'll move because God will move it in his time. It's exactly what happened here. And then they passed and they went out down a narrow street. And then at once, verse 20, the angel left him. Well, when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from everything the Jewish people were expecting to happen. Because again, God had the last word. God always has the last word. Things may look bleak, but God always has the last word. Now this is funny too. When Peter realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many people had gathered together and were praying. By the way, notice where Peter immediately went. He went to the home of people that he knew would be praying for him. First place he went. I'm going to the prayer meeting. That's where Peter first went. But then notice what happens. When he knocked on the door at the outer gate, a slave girl named Rhoda answered. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she did not open the gate, but ran back in and told them that Peter was standing at the gate. Left Peter right there. You know, oh my golly, it's Peter. Forgot about Peter though. Didn't let him in. But they said to her, you've lost your mind. Literally, you're mad. You're crazy. And if you've seen anything... You've seen his angel, because they believed that every person had a guardian angel. Now, I want to stop here for a moment. This is important. Earlier on, we talked about the fact that we commended this group of, of believers because they were fervently praying. But notice here that even though they were fervently and passionately praying, Their faith was just really, really small. Because even though they were fervently praying, they really didn't believe maybe that God would do it. But this is a great example that, as Jesus even taught, you don't need a lot of faith for God to work. Just a little faith, just a tiny little bit. And that's probably all they had was just enough. Because the more important thing isn't, again, the size of our faith. It's the object that our faith is in. And notice, they were fervently praying to God. God was the object of their faith. They knew that He was the answer. He was the only one that could figure this out and somehow change the situation. And for that, we need to commend them. For their faith, uh, maybe their faith need to grow a little bit. They're like us sometimes in our Christian life. We pray for something. God answers it even more miraculous than what we prayed for. And we're like, wow. We're like surprised that God somehow, you know, exceedingly and abundantly did above all that we could ask or think. We're surprised when not only God answers our prayers, but, but does something miraculous or, or amazing or astounding. And yet, it's like, should we be? Is this not who God is? And yet that's where they were. They said, it can't be Peter. 
And so Peter, I'll give him this. Verse 16, notice, he continued knocking. He stayed with it. I'm going to keep knocking. I'm hoping somebody comes back and lets me in. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were greatly astonished. He motioned to them with his hand to be quiet and then related how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. He said, tell James. Now this James, obviously the other James has died. This is Jesus's brother, James, who will one day be the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He says, tell James and the brothers these things. And then he left and went to another place. Well, at daybreak, there was great consternation among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. That's, that's putting it mildly. Because they knew what was going to happen if they didn't find Peter. Exactly what we learn about. They knew that their lives were on the line because they left a prisoner. Especially a prisoner of the magnitude of Peter. He was a prized prisoner of Herod. And so the Bible says, when Herod had searched for him and did not find him, he questioned the guards and commanded that they be led away to be executed. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now Herod was having an angry quarrel with the people of Tyre and Sidon, so they joined together and presented themselves before him. And after convincing Blastus, the king's personal assistant, to help them, they asked for peace because their country's food supply was provided by the king's country. This was all just a bunch of political mumbo-jumbo and, we love you. They really didn't. But they wanted something, you know, the way politics works. On a day determined in advance, Herod put on his royal robe, sat down on the judgment seat, and made a speech to them. But the crowd began to shout, the voice of a God and not of a man. And notice verse 23. Immediately, instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod down. Literally, cutting down. Herod's pride got in the way here. And God had finally had enough. And judgment from God came. And he was cut down immediately. It, it shows how quickly things can change in a person's life. How they can be on top, seeming like everything's okay, and boom. They can be cut down in an instant. And that's exactly what happened here. And so notice again, too, how, how God, in a sense, is playing all this out. You have at the beginning of the chapter, James is killed. Peter's thrown in prison. What's the church to do? And Herod is the one behind it all. And by the end of the chapter, the church, in spite of all the difficulties, is now going to continue to grow and thrive and increase. And the one who caused it all is done, gone, off the scene. That's how quickly things can change with God. Herod was struck down because, notice, he did not give the glory to God. And then it says he was eaten by worms and died. Pretty, pretty humbling and disgusting way to die. But notice verse 24. But, <laughs> contrast Herod's quick, humbling, cut down, off the scene, 
but the Word of God kept on increasing and multiplying. It didn't matter what Satan, what Herod, what any of the the Jews had tried to do to, to squelch the church. The promise of Jesus was true. I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail. It doesn't matter what is thrown at it. What challenges, what obstacles, how many are martyred. It doesn't matter. The church and my word will continue to march on. God wants us to absorb a passage like this and come out of this passage so encouraged and inspired because God understands, look, I know there's challenges and obstacles in your way. And I'm probably not going to take them away. But what I want you to see is I want you to learn that with me, all of them can be overcome. And that you and I and our church and everything else can continue to grow and increase and all of these things in spite of and even through the obstacles that God takes us through. And then a little footnote here. Because the author wants to introduce us to John Mark, who will play a prominent part later on down the road. So Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem when they had completed their mission, bringing along with them John Mark. And this verse is just a reminder again that the Christians worked together. They had partners. They had companions in ministry. They didn't do this on their own. They did this with others. And that's what we see happening here in the book of Acts. I wanted to close tonight a little bit early for this reason. This chapter really has put the importance of prayer at the very forefront of of this chapter showing us how the church turned and started to fervently pray for Peter. And, and I wanted to end tonight just by us quieting ourselves before God before we're dismissed tonight and just coming into His presence. And as we come into the presence of God tonight and sort of close our time together tonight, I'd just like to again ask this question Is there something in your life right now that you are fervently, intensely, passionately praying for? Anything at all? If there's not anything, Could this be a time where you begin to ask God to give you a passion? And to, in a sense, use your time in the presence of God in prayer to let God begin to shape our hearts to go along with His heart so that our heart beats with the same passion that His heart beats with? And if you are praying for something fervently, intensely, and passionately, 
I would hope that out of this chapter tonight, again, that this would be a motivation to just continue to do so. But remembering this, that I believe that biblical prayer is more about focusing on the person that we are praying to, God, than the requests that we are bringing to Him. And that ultimately, at its very foundation or core, prayer is simply a human being attaching ourselves, joining ourselves, binding ourselves to the God of the universe. And coming into His presence. And whatever challenges or difficulties or trials or obstacles may be in your way tonight. May you also be encouraged tonight and even comforted by this chapter in this way. That though the church didn't have any of the resources that the enemies of God had, they had something greater. They had something more powerful than any prison, any chain, any group of guards that Herod could muster. They had the power of prayer. And they went on their knees and they began to pray. May God call us tonight to prayer. I'm just going to ask us to quiet our hearts and I'm just going to remain silent and just have a a quiet room here for a few moments and then after a couple moments I'll close our time together tonight in prayer whatever you want to talk to God about tonight just take these few moments to do so
Father, I I come before you tonight and I acknowledge that you are the Lord. You are the creator, the sustainer, the ruler of everything. You are high and lifted up. There's no one greater than you. And God, as we come into your presence tonight, may we as your people most of all begin to see who you are as we pray. That when we come into your presence, God, we begin to truly understand who it is that we're talking to. And that, Lord, no matter what we bring, no matter how awful, how painful, how difficult, how challenging whatever we bring to you is, we must believe that you are greater than anyone or anything. That you are bigger than anyone or anything. And that God, through you, we can rise above it, go over it, go through it, whatever that is. God, I pray tonight, and I asked you, God, tonight, to light a fire for those of us here at the Oasis to be a church of prayer. To be a people of prayer. To be a people, Lord, who ignite others to pray. Because, Lord, most of all, we're a people who just desire to be in your presence. To attach ourselves, to join ourselves, to bind ourselves to you. And God, whatever comes our way, may prayer not be the last thing we do. May prayer be the first thing. May we seek you, Lord, knowing that you will answer and respond to us and even are able to deliver us from each and every fear that we may have. God, go with us tonight. Help us to walk in faith. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, come back on Sunday. We got some good stuff for you. Have a great week. We'll see you.